Good morning. What a fun looking group. We are at the second service going to uh, have our graduation recognition service. If you want to stick around for that, it's right at the very beginning of the service. Uh, we're also going to live stream it if you want to just watch it later. <laughs> and uh, But we want to invite you to be here for that. Um, it may mean you have to sit around, stand around and talk to some people, be social, but you're here. So we're glad for that. I have a... Um, card that I want to share. I think she sent me the text. She just texted me the text of the card, so she's so thorough. Thank you for making our transition back to the United States so seamless and for welcoming us into open arms. We are, well, we are overwhelmed by all of your kindness and generosity. First Baptist Church of Jackson reminds us of the early church in Acts chapter 2. You have all been wonderful at pulling together your resources in order to help provide for our needs. We are extremely grateful for each one of you and for all the gifts and donations you have given. Thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus with love in Christ, Clayton, Kristen, and Winnie Brooks. Last week at this time... We were, um, uh, what were we doing? We were here, right? And, uh, and so we, uh, we were um, fretting. People were like, why are you even here? And, uh, but uh, at 4.01 that afternoon, in case you didn't know, our, our grandchild was born. And, uh, and so I don't know how many of you can say this. This is her first opportunity to attend church. And she's here. So, so but we're going to have the, don't, oh, oh, hold, hold. I'm going to have her come up. Have Winnie walk up here. No. <laughs> here they come. Here are the, the objects of your love and care. That's, yeah, all the way. There she is now. See, there you go. That's worth applause. Yeah. She loves the spotlight. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you all very much. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. That was for their, her grandmother watching at home, so we're grateful for that. So, um, I'm not an emotional person. We are in the middle of a series, or we just started a series. It's not the middle, for sure. We're at the beginning. Uh, last week was the first, and um, as we walk through the Hebrew alphabet, um, did Jordan and Katie just leave? Is that all they came for? <laughs> wow. That's humbling. <laughs> I might say something they haven't heard before. Um, maybe not. I don't know. We're calling it the ABCs of Bible study because we are, this whole year, we are focusing on how important it is to study God's Word. And I, I know that 
many of you are students of the Word of God and have read it and looked at it and so forth, but we all we all fall into this trap, if we're not careful, of either focusing on things, focusing on Bible studies so intensely that we don't really ever see how to apply it into our daily lives, or we just think we've, we've gotten it all. We've studied it so much. We're, we, it's like all the stories just become over and over and over again. It's like we've heard all this before, and, and so we just don't see the need for it uh, as if we got it and no need to press forward into it. And, uh, or maybe we just never have ever looked at it. Maybe, we, maybe you're not a student of God's Word. Maybe it's one of those things that just you tried to read it and it just became so difficult or challenging. It was just, you got other things that are just, that are more pressing at the time. Uh, you know, it's kind of like when I was uh, doing income taxes. My dad had a tax income business or income tax business where he did tax preparation. He was an accountant and, uh, and it was something he did on the side. And so we'd have all these people coming and he always said, you know, people will pay you money just to read the instructions. And, and I always remembered that, that people who read the instructions get paid by people who don't read the instructions. And sometimes that's what you feel as a, as a pastor, that's what you feel is happening here. You feel like people are paying you to read it and tell them what it says. But if that's true, one, it's, it's a horrible way to look at pastoral ministry. And two, you are really, you're the one who's getting the shaft in that. Because God's word is so much more than just an instruction book. It is, it is, like, it is life-giving counsel from the creator of the universe. It is literally the secret to life. It is, it is him, it is God who made us and us living in a world that's messed up or fallen, and it's really how to get out off the Titanic and into a lifeboat. It's how to, how to be delivered from a situation where everybody is facing impending doom. And as you see everything falling apart around us, and you think, oh, what do we do? And, and the Word tells us, you don't get into a panic, just read what He says. Just understand it. And we live at a time, and, and, and I, I would get it if you couldn't read. If you can't read, obviously you need somebody to read to you. That's not understandable. If it was in a language you didn't understand, you would need a translator. I understand that. But today, in the world in which we live, they have every phone that's made, uh, just about, has the ability to read the Bible to you. Uh, that goes beyond computers or anything, like just literally something, a device that's in your hand. And if you're really technolog technologically challenged, you can buy an audio Bible that literally just push the button and it plays the Bible for you. I mean, there's absolutely no excuse not to have it. We take that. We give it away for free in other countries. We take it and, and put the Bible in headphones and so forth so they can literally just put headphones on and hear the Bible spoken to them in their language. We do that around the world. It's absolutely available here. So we can hear it at any time, any place. Every translation possible to make it easier to understand is available to people. And we are so inundated with it. I think sometimes that we, we are so focused on it, it's like we get, it's like color of carpet in churches. It's like we get so focused on the color of carpet and picking the right color carpet, we fail to realize that we are so blessed to be able to have, I don't know, carpet. <laughs> They wouldn't realize that that's 
an incredible blessing, Lord, that we're not meeting on a mud floor and worried about rain making it muddy. We don't have those thoughts, but a lot of people do. And but because we get so, and that's the way the word is sometimes, we have so much of it that we just, sometimes it just overloads us and we fail to appreciate that which we have. And I think it comes into this, and this is the, the B, the A last week, B this week. It's believe God's word. Just believe it. Just believe what it says. I think that's where we get tripped up. I think we read it. We study it. We recognize it. Sometimes we memorize it. But the question is, do we believe it? Believe it. I, I'll never forget preaching at a friend's funeral someone who was very dear to us and her brother was not saved and she asked me, she said, make sure you present the gospel in this and um, and so you were listening to the live stream, you got convicted, you came back, I appreciate that I, I don't, she's my daughter, I don't think I'll do that to strangers when they come in we um. We, uh, I was at this funeral, that's what I was, and so her brother came to me afterwards, and he says, you know, I don't know if I believe what you say is true, but I believe you believe it. And I said, absolutely, I believe it. And I think so often, and this is, this goes down to the, right down to our homes. This is a tough question to start with. And the question is, do the people closest to you believe you believe God's word? Do the people closest to you, do they believe you believe God's word? Because if you're not convincing people, and, and the only way you convince people that you believe God's word is if you actually do believe God's word. Meaning you read it, you believe it, you apply it. And so we're going to look at what he's the psalmist says in 119, 9 through 16 is where we're looking today. And just want to look and see, here's just some practical understanding of God's word. And, and normally, I think it would be, I, I, sometimes the word does this. It go, it's going backwards as far as how it's executed. It'll, we'll start with the practice of it, uh, the sharing of it, and then the remembering of it. But the, but it really, it's, as you'll you read God's word, you share God's word, you practice God's word. But, uh, but sometimes start, the word does that. It, it puts things in reverse order because it's like, here's what we should be doing. And here are the ways we get there. And so let's look in verse 9. I mentioned this verse last week. If you watched, or if you listened or hear and so forth, heard last week's message, we referenced this verse. It's a powerful start. Verse 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you, God, for the word of God. 
the word that you have given to us, the word, Lord, that is your son, Jesus Christ. God, the text, the 66 books, the Bibles that we carry around, simply inform us of who Jesus is and everything that you need us to know about him. There's not one word wasted. Everything has a purpose. You, you give it to us in its completion so that we might have what we need in order to live the life that you called us to live. Father, so may we value it and may we commit ourselves to learning it. Father, guide us by your Holy Spirit today and show us the riches that are in it even today as we look at it. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love moments when I'm preparing and the Word helps me make my point in a way that's easy to remember. And the first three verses we're going to look at are 9, 10, and 11, which are 9 through 11, which is 911, so right? And the point is that we need to believe that Jesus can rescue us. How, is that not good? I mean, that's just God just working that out for you. That's something to remember. When you think 919, and here's the thing, I, it's to God. I didn't come, I didn't order the verses that way. But and and to make it easier, if you're trying to think of which psalm is it? 911 backwards? 119. See, it's really that's that's solid Holy Holy Spirit stuff right there. 119, 911. You go to 119, 9 through 11. Here are some words to remind you that. Jesus can rescue us. Because here's the question, you know, when I, when I studied biblical counseling, this was something I, I remember we were forced to take it, and I really felt that way. I'm being forced to take this, didn't want to take it. And I'd had pastoral counseling, which was good. I mean, I really enjoyed it, felt I learned a lot from it. But they were like, no, we're going to start requiring people to take biblical counseling. And so I'm in this class, and I had never really thought of this before but they said do you believe the bible is sufficient for any problem that we face do you think there are situations where you need to refer people to somebody else because the bible isn't capable of dealing with the situation and they said here's the problem the church people come to the church and and their growing number of issues the church response is this is beyond us You need professional help. You need to be sent somewhere else for help. Now, that's not saying that there aren't medical issues and things like that. Somebody has some type of medical problem or something and uh, and needs to be dealt with over here. And and so for their issues that we don't have expertise in. But we believe that that is actually prescribed throughout God's word. That there's nothing wrong with sending people to help. In fact, James 5.14, he says, Anyone among you sick, he should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And that anointing oil is a way, I know there's many things, reasons why they think that they anointed people with oil for some medicinal reason, but it was really that uh, you should seek out help if you're sick. And, and today we have, I mean, if you have people within the church, and the idea was that eventually people within the church would learn the best ways to treat people, given the things that God has given to us, using all the things that God has made aware to us. 
And, and that's the same way. It's like I don't, when you're building a house, I don't say, well, you should have the deacons come and build your house for you. And you find people who know how to build houses. But that doesn't mean they can't be deacons. It doesn't mean it can't be knowledge known by people within the church. People understanding things. But to recognize that God had, God, but the bigger question is, should you build a house? Where should you build your house? How much should you spend on your house? All these things are informed by the word of God. By understanding as we, as we meditate upon God's word. And, and the same way it is with, with God's word. Now, just so you know, I have oil in my office. I am not afraid to use it. If you came to me and said, preacher, would you anoint me with oil and pray over me? I would, I'll follow this verse to the letter. We'll absolutely do that. Have done it. Don't have any issue with that whatsoever. Because one, God's word tells us to do that. And so if you ask for it, you'll get it. Some of you I'd like to pour some oil on. <laughs> but I won't do it involuntarily. It doesn't say preachers hunt people down and pour oil on them. It doesn't say that. It says if, you, if that's what you desire, seeking that in faith, that God blesses that. The point is, is that that's a very real, practical thing. I mean, James is, James is so real and practical. He's saying, are you sick? Here's what you need to do. And, and whether you want to look at it, we're finding some additional relief, which is a very decent interpretation of that passage, or literally going to the pastor of the church and asking for to be anointed with oil. Very literal interpretation of that passage. None of that's wrong. Because you know what you're doing, right? You're reading the Word, and you're taking God at His Word. And that's exactly how we are to approach God's Word, is looking and saying, I am in a situation, I have a financial problem, a relationship problem, an emotional problem, a spiritual problem, a mental problem. My brain is betraying me. Where do I need to go? Well, go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. And and let him unfold that. You say, are you saying you shouldn't take medication? I take, I mean, we all take medication. I, well, not everybody. I know there are people who will say that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying I believe God created medication. I believe God created the medical sciences. I believe that God created the solutions that we see in the world. But it needs to start with him, not with them. I don't think we separate the two. I don't think we say, well, the Bible can't help me with this, so I've got to go elsewhere. No, the Bible, there's a lot of things the Bible doesn't specifically relate to. But our trust is in the God who gives us his word. And if we follow his word, that he'll be faithful in us obeying his word. Now, I have had people come to me who were sick. I remember we had a a man who was sick and uh, had an issue with his heart. And I remember he said, he came up at the altar call and he says, would the church pray for me, for my healing? And he was taking this literally, he said, would the, would the leaders of the church come up and lay hands on me? Would you anoint me with oil? So we did. Ran to my office, got the oil. Came up, laid hands, anointed him. And he got better. Now he comes back with a praise report. Shares the praise support with the church, how doctors were defied by you know, the effect of it or whatever. He still went to the doctor. He still did the things the doctors would have him to do. But he believed that God healed him. And that was his testimony. This man had many health problems. 
And this was a process of over and over again. Now he, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, years later. And there were a lot of, and finally some, he did die. But his family doesn't look at God and go, you betrayed us. Oh, no, they, they still share those testimonies of how they came to God for healing and God healed, God answered prayer. And, 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 and we'll share this, you know, God healed him. And if he had gone here, here are the things he would have missed. But God healed him so that he could do this and reach these people for Christ and share this testimony here and accomplish these things for the Lord. And then, and here he went on to be with the Lord and God basically said, okay, I, you're done. Now you can come home. And they rejoiced and praised the Lord at his funeral. But, but they were wholeheartedly believing that Jesus saved them and every one of these two. And it wasn't just, this is just one family. And he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a preacher. None of them in that family are pastors or preachers. Just a family within the church taking God at his word, believing that God's word is, is true and believing that Jesus can rescue us. Look in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping your word? And I shared last week how when I was in college, I, I leaned on that verse. Because I was a young man wanting to keep my way pure, and I was wanting to know how to do this. And then God told me, in his word, by keeping his word. And he says, I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. These are just, this is the 911 of the Bible. This is me saying, I'm in trouble. What do I need to do? I need to look to his word. Now, here's the mistake we make is we're like, Okay, what's the verse I need? Give me the verse. I'll swallow that verse, take two verses, and call you in the morning. Just like any type of care. It's not that simple. You don't normally get into situations that simply or that easily. And sometimes you can do this. I mean, it's like one bad moment with a chainsaw can result in years of healing and difficulty and some things you can't put back. <laughs> and that's the way it is in anything. And so but but the point is is that when I'm in that situation, when I'm in that dilemma, I go to God's word and he has a solution. I had a, a girl come to me and she said, I'm in this situation and so forth and, and hear all the problems. She's crying out to us after a church service and, and, and she's like, This is going wrong and this is going wrong and this is going wrong and and she threw in a relationship, a sexual relationship outside of marriage that she was currently involved in. And easily, we can go to the Word and say, hey, if you end that, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking and saying, everything you have told us that you're struggling with right now stems from that. Just stop that. That's God's word clearly says that you should not be in a the word's fornication, but it's a sexually immoral relationship. Any any sexual relationship outside the bonds of marriage, God forbids, for his reasons, for our best, 
believing and if we believe God's word and take him at his word and, and, and we believe how can I keep my way pure by keeping his word I sought you in my heart don't let me wander from your commands I've treasured your word in my heart and she just looked at us like we had just done something and she got up and walked out she said no I'm not going to do that well it didn't get better and you see that's the thing is that God's we don't believe that Jesus can fix us. We want Jesus to step into our situation and to allow us to... It, the, the approach to the Bible is the same approach we have to every aspect of life. When you go to the doctor and you smoke four packs of cigarettes a day and he says you need to stop smoking, that's not what you want to hear. You want to hear, how can I continue to smoke four packs of cigarettes a day and not have any health risk? That's what I want to hear. How can I continue to eat anything I want to eat and not have any problems as a result? The question we always ask is, how can I continue to sin and not have any consequences for my sin? We start that question about Winnie's age. I want to do anything I want and have no consequences. Well, that's not the truth, is it? That's not the, we all know that. We all know that's not how the world works. We all know that's not how God designed the universe. It has really nothing to do with Christianity. It's how, it's the design, that's general revelation. Everybody knows that. Go to any religious faith. Go to any atheistic understanding. Go to any agnostic understanding. Whatever you want to find, any type of understanding, we all know that. So why would you think when you come to the God who made the world and made the world like that, that you could say, I want you to bless my sin so I continue to sin and not have any repercussions that he's going to answer that's not how it works that his word is not going to back that up his word is going to say you're doing this here is what this causes so if you stop this the results will change but if you don't stop this the results won't change what is the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result right so practice the word. Practice the word. Now, we say obey the word, and I, I absolutely obey the word, but I think when I say obey the word, I think we get this thought in our head. I think we're, we, we, we have this, we believe doing nothing wrong equals doing something right. And that's not true. If we're not learning how to apply God's word in our daily lives, problems and issues... Well, maybe it's because we don't believe it actually works. And maybe the reason we don't believe it actually works is because we're not actually doing it. Because here's what my testimony is. Every time I have practiced the word, I get the results God promises. Every time. Here's also my experience. Every person I know who has practiced the word gets the results that God promises. Now, if you don't want the results that God promises, obviously, the Word of God is not for you. But I'm just going to tell you, loving the Word is the same as loving Jesus. Jesus is the Word. He says, if you want to be my friends, obey my commands. If you want to be my friends, if you want to love me, if you, he says this, literally, if you love me, you will do what I say. You don't do what I say, well, then own it. Then you don't love him. Doesn't matter what you say. 
It matters what you were doing. So practice the word. And before we practice the word, though, we have to believe Jesus is what people need. Not just what I need, but what everybody needs. People ask us for all kinds of help. They, they are always coming to us and saying, we need money, or we need, money's a big one. We need money, or we need a place to live, or we, need, or we need the things money buys. We need money, or we need the things money buys. That's pretty much it when it comes to needs. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes we think we can buy relationships. But we, we need something and people come to us and here is the mistake we will make if we do not believe that Jesus is what people need then we will offer them something other than Jesus we will think of other things to give people besides Jesus we'll see that guy on the corner and we'll he'll be saying we'll work for food and we think he needs work if that guy had a job his life would be better really is that the answer to everybody needs is a job does that make everybody's life perfect no well Money, really? Is money what everybody needs? Does that make people's lives perfect? Is that what we've seen? That means the wealthiest people are the happiest people on the planet? We all know those are not truths, right? So it's not. So we know this is not true. It's not money that he needs. What does he need? He needs Jesus. It's going to take time to share Jesus with him. But that's what he truly needs. There was an ice storm that came through in 2009. I don't know what, how it did you all, but it devastated our area where we lived in Kentucky. And we had people without power. We had people without resources. And so we put crews together to pick limbs up out of yards, chainsaw crews and so forth. So we were going and cleaning people's yards. But this is what I love about disaster relief. Disaster relief has this one thing. We, we believe that by offering to take all the limbs out of your yard... We get the opportunity to share with you what you really need. And that's Jesus. And so we train people to go into those situations where there's a mud out or because of floods or because of of hunger or whatever the issues that are created, whatever you think your needs are, we'll go and come meet those needs. This This is a Jesus style of ministry. This is what Jesus did. People were hungry for food, so he fed them food. But what else? But what did he know they really needed? He knew they really needed him. And that's, that's what we do. That's what we should be doing. And we do that when we believe that it true, is true, that that's what people really need. They need Jesus. We, we get sidetracked. We'll see, oh my goodness, you need, you need insurance, or you need to file this claim, or you need this, or we need a, we need a stimulus check, or we, need, or we need something from the government. We need more unemployment. We need, is that really what people need? Church, we can't get off focus with this. We have to believe it for ourselves. We have to know this for ourselves. Is the job really what I need? Is the house really what we need? Is the car really what we need? No, what we really need is Jesus. And then out of that relationship with Jesus, Jesus will meet these needs. Now I'm turning to Jesus. Jesus, if I need a car, would you provide it? And guess what Jesus will do? He'll provide the car if that's what you need. If you need a house, he'll provide the house if that's what you need. But what you really need is him and out of him. And he says that. Seek first the kingdom of God and then everything else will be taken care of. Do we believe that? And if we do, look in verse 12. 
It says, Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. That means I will, if I believe it, I will share it. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. We, have, we need to share the word. Share the word. And we share the word because we believe it is more valuable than money. Now, that's not a cheap way out. <laughs> Jesus told the rich young ruler, he says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He didn't say, just go share the gospel. He said, first, we've got to get the plank out of your eye. You think that money's important. So first, we've got to break you of that. Give all that away. So now you're leaning on Jesus only. And now, go out and, then you can go out and share Jesus only. Share the word. And then finally, in order to be able to share the word, in order to believe Jesus is what people need, we have to believe Jesus is worth our time. Jesus is worth our time. I will, I've said this. You're saying, you've said this before. I've said it before. I will say it again. I will say it over and over and over again. You need a quiet time. You need time alone in the word of God where you can meditate and that means understand what it is God is saying. Say, I don't get it. Well, then go get in that closet and stay in that closet till you get it. Get something. And you don't get it all at one time. You get it. It's got to be a repeated thing. You say, well, I don't have an hour. Well, then five minutes. You need an hour. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite quotes from A.W. Tozer was is that he spent an hour a day preparing for the day in God's Word. And he said, on the days when I absolutely did not have any time, when I was so stressed and my schedule did not allow for that hour, I spent two hours. Because those were the days I needed it most. George Mueller said that he would keep his Bible by his bedside because he thought they gave, if he waited till after he went to the bathroom in the morning, he thought he gave Satan too much of an opportunity from the bed to the bathroom. So before, as soon as he woke up, he rolled over and grabbed the Word of God and began to focus on God's Word, meditate upon the Word. Great men of God, great women of God, meditate upon God's Word. They believe Jesus is worth the time. Look in verse 15 and 16. It says, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now, I was going to say memorize the word, but I change it to what it says here. Remember the word. Remember the word. I, you may be like me. I'm really horrible at scripture memorization. And I think it's because I grew up in a time when there were multiple translations, and you can fight about that however you want to fight, but I just, just the world I grew up in. I had multiple translations of the Bible that were, I was inundated with. It was really hard to memorize specific versions of Scripture. But here's the key that it's saying here. I remember what he's saying. When I meditate upon it, he brings it to mind. When I, I need him to bring it to mind, I remember it. Remember the word. And that's take, the only way you remember your word, the word is when you spend time with it. I know just about 
everybody's name in this room. And I'll tell, I've told you this before, and I'll tell you how I do it. Because I pray for you every day. By name. Now, why do I do that? Because somebody challenged me to do it one time in seminary. And the church will grow to a point where I can't do it anymore, but we're at that place right now where I can. So when I first came, I asked for the pictures or whatever everybody had. I cut everybody's pictures out, took everybody's pictures, and laid them in front of my prayer time, and I pray for you all by name. So I could remember you. And when you're not here, I still remember you. I connect the face to the name. There have been times I've been caught unaware. Some of us say, hey, so-and-so's in the hospital. I'm so-and-so, oh my goodness, I don't know that name. And maybe there was a picture or something was in a directory or whatever, so I find that picture and that name and I add them in. Now, that just stems from the same practice with the Word. I spend time in the Bible and I meditate upon portions of the word and I meditate upon it so I will remember it. Going back to that very first verse, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to thy word? How do I remember that? Meditated upon it. That was the very first verse that someone challenged me to meditate upon that verse. And I'll tell you why I meditated about it because I needed it. I needed to know that verse. I needed to remember that. Because here's what happens. I go out into my day, Satan comes, and he creates all kinds of havoc and problems and so forth, all kinds of temptations, challenges to a young man's purity. And I'm like, God, what do I do? I remember what to do. I need to go back to your word. Remember, we talked about that last week. But here's what I want to ask you as we close this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is the answer you are looking for? Do you believe that Jesus is the answer you are looking for? Think of all the things you've got going on in your life right now. Do you really believe that Jesus is the answer? So that's why, if you do, then you need to be in his word finding the answers you're looking for. Nowhere else. And if you're looking elsewhere then you have to come to terms with, up to this point, you have not believed that. Demi Lovato, young lady who was on the Disney Channel years ago, and was, came out, I don't know if you watch the news or if you don't know who that person is, it's irrelevant, but anyway, she came out, she's a popular person, and said that she's non-binary. That's her truth. She said, that's my truth. And you get angry about that or upset or whatever, that's, that's her world. And she said, I'm non-binary, and and that's my truth. She said, I'm going to be loud and proud about it. I'm going to share that because I want other people who need hope to also be able to own their truth. And so I think by doing this, that it will bring hope to a lot of people. And here's what I stepped away with. I was like, I'll just ask you a question. Do you believe... That in South America, in the tribes of South America, where they're going through warlord persecution or whatever and, and suffering, that you can go into the jungles of South America and to these tribes in the jungle. Do you think if she went there and was loud and proud, that it would answer their issues? Do you think if you went to the Middle East, in the war-torn countries, in one of these villages that have been 
ravaged by bombs and watched their children die, do you think that if you took her and put her in that situation, that they'd feel hopeful? Do you think if you went into the places all throughout the world, Africa, Asia, where famine is huge and children are starving to death and families watching their children starve to death, that if you came and said, hey, let me teach you about being non-binary, you think that would bring hope to those people? I mean, really, do you think that the answer that the world is looking for is to understand our sexuality? No. That's what a wealthy, spoiled, affluent nation who has everything it could ever want and more, so much wealth, so much indulgence that we can afford to think about the most inane, insane things about if, I mean, think about it. Do you really believe the answer to all the world's problems is giving them the right pronoun? Of course not. But you know who is the answer? The right noun. And that is Jesus. The proper name. Jesus. Who goes by the pronoun he, by the way. He is the one. And my identity is solved in him. He defines who I am. He answers my problem. He solves my problem. I can go to a woman who's lost her child through whatever, starvation or whatever, and I can give hope. And here's the hope I give. I believe in one who can resurrect the dead. I believe the one who gives life after death. That whatever pain and problem this world can bring out, I believe in one who can solve all that pain and problem, who can restore that which is lost, who can bring back that which has been taken away. Every pain that's been inflicted by anything that the world has to dish out, I believe in one who can undo that pain and resolve that pain and solve those problems. And even if death takes me, he has the power to bring me back and to bring back all those who I love. That is good news. That's a gospel worthy of being shared. Do you believe that Jesus is the answer that not only you are looking for, but that everyone is looking for? Let's pray. Father, just pray, God, today, Lord, that we'll put our faith, our trust in you. Lord, you are not my truth. You are the truth. You are everyone's truth. Lord, and as we look around the world, Lord, I mean, I just count the reason why people are trying to find their truth is because they're hurting and desperate and don't know you. That, that's a challenge to us. That means we need to share you. We need to believe you are real. We need to believe you are true so that our families believe you are true, so that our communities believe you are true, so that nations can believe you are true, so that the world can believe you are true, Lord. But it starts right here, right now with us. We have to believe the word. Lord, challenge our hearts this morning. Work in us. Just let's ask the question, do I believe that Jesus is the truth and Lord maybe I need to put my faith in you today maybe maybe there's somebody here who needs to trust you for the very first time maybe there's somebody who's fallen away from the faith who needs to put their trust back in you maybe there's people here today who just need to reaffirm their trust in you but Lord today may we all 
May we all come toe-to-toe with that challenge. Do we believe? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me as we have this time invitation. I just want to ask you, if you just need to affirm that today, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I'm turning to you for hope. Nowhere else. I'm not going to look to anything else anymore. I'm not going to look to an investment portfolio. I'm not going to look to insurance. I'm not going to look to retirement. I'm not going to look to this person. I'm not going to look to this individual and, and build all my hopes and dreams on this or what's going to happen with this job or what's going to happen after graduation or what's going to happen with all. You alone, Jesus are going to be the object of my hope. I'm going to put everything I have into knowing you and learning who you are and following you. If you need to come this morning to the altar and do that, come to the altar. If you can do it right where you are, do it right where you are. But right now, humble yourself before the Lord. Put your faith in Him. And may your testimony be the same as countless others. I trusted Him and He did everything He promised. As we sing.